You are listening to the Asking for a Friend podcast, an elder-led ministry of Believers Baptist Church in Emory, Texas. The Asking for a Friend podcast exists as a weekly resource for the edification and knowledge of God's people. My name is Jason Rowland. I'm the senior pastor and an elder of Believers Baptist Church, and I'm with one of the elders of our congregation, Philip Castleton. We want to thank all of you who are listening, whoever you may be, and wherever you may be. May the Lord bless this podcast to you as a means of grace for your spiritual growth. And so, Philip, we were just talking about the pandemic and all of the different um, circumstances surrounding the pandemic has given you t-shirt ideas. Yes. So give me some of those t-shirt ideas. Well, not just the pandemic, but just uh, political scene. Yeah, yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. Um, I was told, you know, you told me before we started this that we might talk about this, but not to bring up all my t-shirt <laughs> ideas, um, because some of them would be questionable, but uh, not in that they would be bad. They, they would just, uh, they would elicit um, strong feelings for some, and, 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 and they, that might be good. But w- one of them uh, was, uh, I saw this shirt, so this wasn't um, original to me for sure, but saw one one time that said, I could do all things through one verse taken out of context. And, uh, <laughs> I love that, that. I like that one, too. I, I want one of those. I really yeah, do. We may have to have some of those made. Right. Um, I've seen another one that said, uh, do not fear failure, but fear spending your life um, succeeding at things that don't really matter. And I thought, man, that is uh, that is com- absolutely appropriate, uh, especially right. in, the, in the context in which we live. Right. But a couple of other ones... Um, I want to get a shirt made that says abortion is murder. It's just point blank like that, um, hoping that um, it would uh, uh, attract attention and conversation. Right. But one that says um, systemic racism, which is a buzzword in our society. Yes. Systemic racism has a name, Planned Parenthood. (laughs) That would be a good T-shirt. That would be a good one. Yeah. And then uh, you're trying to get me off before I mention the last no, one. No, go ahead. You? Go ahead. I no. have one more, and okay. we won't talk about it. Maybe if someone hears this and they want to ask, they can ask me. Uh, but I have one more idea, and I think um, I want to get a T-shirt that says, let's make hate speech great again. Right. I like that T-shirt. I, if, if you got that, I would uh, I would wear that, I think. And and so go ahead. What is What, what, what do you mean well, by I that? Well, I would hope that it would elicit conversation. People say, what do you mean? Well, in our culture... Hate speech anymore is defined um, as um, speaking truths, speaking biblical truths, standing for things that, um, or standing rather against things that the culture has deemed um, appropriate. Uh, For example, um, uh, homosexuality, um, um, the whole agenda, right? If you you believe that... um, that God is the definer of marriage and, and what is appropriate sexually, then you're a hater in, in our culture. And not only that, um, you know, the, the defining of, of genders is God's place, not man's. Uh, he doesn't get to decide that there's 83 um, or 283 or 1,083 genders, um, but that God created them male and female. And so, um, but to hold those views anymore is considered hate, hateful. Right. It's considered hate speech. Well, as believers, as people of the truth, as people of the word, those who are marked by and love the truth, we should be, um, we shouldn't be scared of those topics. We shouldn't be scared to say things, even if we're going to be called haters. And so if that's what hate speech is defined as, then let's make it great again. Right. Let's stand on the truth. Let's speak out what is right. What is, and we should have no fear of, of, of this world. God's in control. I would wear any of those t-shirts. 
I am disappointed, however, that you have not noticed, not said a word about the T-shirt I have on yeah. this morning. Well, he does have one, and I have seen it. I just didn't comment on it yet. But it says dad jokes. It's how I roll. But it spells I E Y E. Right. Yeah. That's yeah. a dad joke. Yes. <laughs> and we don't have the the younger generation in the room with us anymore. Right. You know, um, we, we used to have... We kicked Tyler out. Yeah, we kicked Tyler out. <laughs> uh, we've uh, lost uh, Jared and uh, Kyle, our, our younger elders. And so dad jokes don't have quite as much punch as they used to. No, used to. Every time I made one, Jared would put tally marks at the top of his page, you know. Right. But, you know, the only thing that would make that shirt better is at the bottom, it could actually have a picture of an eyeball rolling. rolling. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know where I get all of my dad jokes, don't you? From your kids? No, from my dad a base. Database. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I should have known. Right. <laughs> uh, well, uh, I don't know how to segue into our question for... Disregard everything we just said, <laughs> right. and, but pay attention from here forward. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, so this question that um, we're going to discuss in this podcast, Philip, is a question that is prompted out of 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And the question is... What does it mean to be handed over to Satan? What does it mean to be handed over to Satan? And we actually have uh, two different texts that we can go to in relation to this. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Paul is writing the Corinthian church, and he says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you. And of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. So that's the text that prompts the question, what does it mean to be handed over to Satan? So how, would, how do we answer that, Philip? Well, I think that, um, especially when you read some of that, for the destruction of the flesh, we think to ourselves, does that mean to kill the body? Actually, I think what it means is to kill that which is fleshly in us. So the destruction of the flesh is to kill that which remains um, unregenerate, unrepentant, un, uh, you know, that which remains of, of, of fleshly desire, right? Right. So, so what, what we have is a picture of um, a person being removed from the protective, um, the protective bounds or bonds or uh, the protective uh, fellowship. circle, fellowship of the church, being removed from that and, and sent out into the world um, so that uh, the inundation of, of, of Satan, if the person's a real believer, um, the, 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 there'll be a recognition of what is being missed as they are removed from the body, and that it'll ultimately lead to the destruction of what is fleshly in them. They'll repent of it, turn from it, and be welcomed back into the body, um, you know, uh, uh, pure. 
right. purified, right? right. Um, so I think that's really uh, the the picture. I mean, because it's it's not where they're kicking them out um, and consigning them over to the devil. I mean, it, it honestly says, you know, at the end of that, so that. Um, in, in verse five, so that they may be saved in the day of the Lord. Mm-hmm. Um, those who are saved in the day of the Lord are those who are marked by repentance. Those whose lives are marked um, not in a one-time act of repentance, but an ongoing repentance, a repentance um, uh, from a turning from the sin that, that 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 they know in the flesh and turning to God. And as that as um, the the remainder of our unredeemed flesh rears its head and sin becomes a reality in us again, we turn from that back to God. And and this is the mark of a uh, of a believer, one who is saved in the end. Right. Right. And so um, I think the picture that's being put forth here, as Paul is, is saying, that this person who's in sin, unrepentant sin, there is no hope for them outside of turning and repenting from that sin. Right. The idea that they really belong to, to Christ is that they'll recognize that, that their behavior is, is an affront to God, an affront to his holiness. It is... Um, um, uh, a challenge to his authority. It is all of these things, and they will repent and turn from it. And if they haven't done it so far, what might be necessary is to remove them from the body, so that they're removed from the protective nature um, of and the blessing that is a, that is afforded them in the fellowship of of the church. They're removed from that and put in a situation where they're inundated by unbelievers. Satan, the world, right? right, in such a way that they recognize their sin, they repent from their sin, they turn from their sin, and then we as a body take them back in. The purity of the church is important here. The the necessity of 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 truth and of um, and the fleeing of sin and the abandonment of sin, all of that is very important here. Right, and, and that is the context of the text. That, that we've got a local church setting, and there's sexual immorality that's in the church, and it's open. Others in the congregation know about this. It's not something that it is hidden, but it has come to light, and it's something that is so heinous that even pagans don't participate in this on a regular basis. It, it's even rejected among pagans is what Paul is saying. Uh, this particular sin is that a man has his father's wife, whether that is a stepmother situation or or whether uh, there was a death of the father and, and now the son is sleeping with the uh, father's widow. Um, whatever the case would be, uh, it is against the Scripture that this kind of of um, action would be sinful action would be going on within the congregation, and the, one of the problems was that the Corinthians were arrogant about this. It was something prideful, as if, well, look, we are so forgiving, so gracious that even this kind of sin we will tolerate within our midst. And Paul is saying, no, you don't tolerate this kind of sin. He said you ought to be mourning over this sin. It's so heinous. It's so um, bringing reproach upon Christ, upon the church. So let the one who is doing this in his unrepentance be removed from you. Right. And so that's what Paul is saying. He's saying, I'm not with you presently, physically in the body, but I have in my spirit, I agree with the action that you ought to take. And if you take this action, I've already made 
a, a confirmation in my spirit that this kind of judgment ought to pre- be pronounced upon this man. That is, that you um, remove him from your presence, and that there's there's the the reality of this believer being turned over to Satan, as you've already said, and you um, said it well, now this believer is no longer in the midst of the care and support of Christian fellowship. Now he is left on his own to deal with the consequences, whatever they may be, of his own sin. Yeah. And so this becomes then something that um, all biblically healthy churches ought to participate in. Right. Well, you know, I want to point this out only because um, I could see where someone, there might be confusion for someone. We have, I think, um, to my recollection, we have two phrases that uses that handed over to Satan. But we have another place in Scripture where we see a picture of someone handed over to Satan, even though that phrase isn't using in Job. Yes. But um, but keep in mind that, um, so we just, and I say this so that we can have perspective. Handed over to Satan doesn't mean giving them body and soul into Satan for destruction. Right, okay? right. And I say this because Job was handed over to Satan. Not because of a sin that Job had done, but for God's purposes. Yes. And guess what? He, his body was allowed to be tormented, right? And beaten and battered and, and affected by Satan, but his soul was not allowed to be touched, right. right? And so he wasn't allowed to kill him. God is the one who holds death in his hand, not Satan. Um, but that being said, I, I wanted to bring that to light so that when we think about Job and we think about the conversation that Satan and, and God had leading up to Job, we recognize that, uh, that Job was, in a sense, handed over to Satan, right? right. To do with him as he willed. But for the glory of God and for the, the, the outworking of God's purposes. Yes. Right. And so I wanted to make sure that we think about that, even though the two examples we have in the New Testament where that phrase is used are both in the context of people's individual sin. Right. And where is that other example? First Timothy. Yeah. And it's uh, Hymenius and Alexander. Right. And Paul is, is saying that uh, to Timothy. Yeah. They've been teaching, uh, in essence, that there's been a, a resurrection, you know, already. And uh-huh. I... I and that, um, but that they they're they're preaching blasphemies, and um, and Paul is you know saying you know they need to stop and so forth, but um, he uh, they continued to to teach unrepentant uh, blasphemies, so um, they were had, they had a false gospel, and ultimately they were delivered over to Satan in First Timothy one twenty. Right. Yeah. So these then become um, judicial acts that the church participates in. Yes. That the church actually initiates, which yes. is given to us as the way that church ought to handle sin in its midst from Matthew chapter 18. Right. So we've talked on several previous podcasts about church discipline, so we don't necessarily have to go into all the details of church discipline again. Right. But it would be worth looking at... Uh, previous podcast that we did, particularly in 2020, we did one on what is church discipline, and perhaps that would be helpful to you if you have questions or thoughts about that. But this is a judicial sentence that's being handed down uh, for the purpose of when this one is turned over to Satan, and as, as you said, to the world and his own consequences and himself, the purpose is that he would come back in repentance, that yeah. there would be pure um, 
repentance and brokenness over his sin. Yeah, and the fact that um, that it is a real danger is even made clear when Paul talks about it in First Timothy. He says that they have made shipwreck of their faith. Yes, right, right. And the the, the point is is that um, uh, there's absolutely no reason to believe. Um, in, in the state these people are in and the sin they've involved themselves in, that these are believers. Right. Now, uh, repentance, time will tell. God, in his, in his grace, may grant them repentance, in which we see uh, it work out that they are believers who were in a sin for a time, but in God in his grace has, has pulled them out. But, but the, the truth of the matter is, is they're handed over to Satan to, in a real sense, prove whether their repentance is real. Right. Right, and and the last phrase of verse 5 out of our text, 1 Corinthians 5, 1 through 5, says, so that his spirit may be saved right. in the day of the Lord. Well, that's the point. Church discipline is always in for restoration first. Right. Um, uh, well, in the context, uh, um, from the perspective of the church member on that person, it should be uh, it should be thought about in the context of of holiness of the church, right, right, purity in the body, yes, and but but restoration toward the 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 the, the center, right, not um, casting out and 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 shedding ourselves of that blight on us, you know, because we're also holy, um, but. The the we the the Bible says that God's people are going to be holy because He is holy. Right. He expects His people to be holy, and that if people are in sin, unrepentant sin, they're to be removed, not for the their destruction ultimately, but right. for their restoration. Right. Um, and we we don't know for certain, but we may have a record in Second Corinthians of the effect of being handed over to Satan of this man in particular. Yeah, it's uh, hard to tell if that's who they're talking about or somebody else. Right. But if it is, at some point he did repent. Right. Right. And they said, okay, enough's enough already. Because they had these people were, were even if it's not the guy, whoever this guy is in Second Corinthians had, had been under discipline. Here he has repented and the people are holding out. Right. And he's going, no, 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 no. If, you know, at the same way that you got rid of him, you need to take him back. And if it was a public ordeal then, it ought to be a public ordeal now. Celebrate this man. Bring him back. Let's have a party. One lost soul has been, uh, you know, brought home. The lost has been found, right? Right. The prodigal son yes, language. Yes, right. I mean, the, the, the whole idea of that which is lost is found. Let's celebrate, right? right. I had a coin that was lost. Right. So the Second Corinthians text that we're referring to in chapter 2, Paul says now in verse 5, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. And so, yeah. again, that we don't know that that is the man that is referred to in 1 Corinthians, but that's the idea behind being handed over to Satan. Yeah, that's the goal, right? Right, right. But, but like I said, the reason why I brought up Job was to, to recognize that there are places in Scripture not every um, so if a person is put out of the body, uh, that that's because of sin. But just because a person um, um, is dealing with hardship doesn't mean that they're 
that their hardship is the result of sin. Right. So that's why we would That make, was the result of, or that's what Job's friends were saying to yes, him. Yes, but it wasn't true about right. Job, but it wasn't true about the man who was born blind, right? Right. Um, John you know, 9. Yeah. Who was, who uh, was he, was he, uh, you know, who sinned, him or his parents? Well, neither one. It was so the purposes of God, you right. know, could be manifest, right? So, um, and God could be glorified in it. So sometimes, uh, you know, when we see people out and about, uh, you know, in, in the throes of, of suffering, you know, we might think to ourselves, well, um, they're there because of sin. And in, in, a, in a grander scheme, they are. I mean, all, all suffering is, is a result of sin, but, but not necessarily because of their sin. Right. Uh, so uh, there are ways in which Satan um, destroys uh, and, and affects and, and has an effect on, on us bodily. Um, that isn't always the direct result of our sin. Right, and and that being under God's sovereignty and with God's permission, and particularly as we see in Job's case. So let, let's wrap up with a, with one of the things that you said right at the beginning, and that is that that being handed over to Satan doesn't necessarily mean uh, being handed over to death. Yes. But let, let's think about some of the other texts that we can read in the New Testament um, that that might help us to think that that could be what happens here. For example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 30, in the context of the Lord's Supper, Paul writes and he says, For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and a number sleep. That is the abuse of the Lord's Supper in that local church context. And a number sleep. So it seems to imply that death came as a result of um, sin there. Well, we have um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Yes, okay. Acts chapter 5. Right. And and I'm not sure, honestly, if I believe that... I don't know where I stand if I believe Ananias and Sapphira were Christian or not Christian. Right. Um, if they were Christian, then what we can uh, glean from this is that sometimes, because of sin, God will take you home. Right? Right. God will end your life. Right. Uh, I would assume for the context of purity of the church, if you go back and read that, um, yes. you know, but also because um, some sins are um, uh, God just not going to tolerate them. I mean, it's time uh, for the good of, of, of yourself and the, the body around you. He mm. chooses to take you home. Yes. Right. So we have that pictured. Um, right. Uh, and so uh, there are times in which case it does lead to death. Uh I was trying to think of the text, and, and uh, it doesn't come to my mind readily, but remember in First John, where uh, John is writing, he said, there is a sin that leads unto death? Yes. Um, I, I'm not sure I understand that without um, some prior uh, looking at that. It's just a text that comes to my mind. Uh, perhaps you could speak better uh, to it right now. Well, but, he, you know, in the context, he's saying, um, you know, that not all sin leads to death. And I think it means immediate death. All sin does lead to death in this in the grander scheme because the right. wages of sin is death, right? Right. I mean, um, Adam's one sin left not only to his physical death, but to the physical and spiritual death of all men that aren't in Christ and the physical death of all men in Christ, right? right. So we know that um, one sin has, has, has a, a huge effect. But in the context of that, he's saying, he's talking about praying, but then he, you know, he goes on to say, I, I don't know that I would encourage you to pray for those who have committed a sin that leads to death. I don't know if we can commit that sin today. I actually, from my understanding of the text, 
I think, and, and this is why I, I'm not so sure if we actually could commit the impardonable sin, mm-hmm. right? This is what I think is what he's talking about here. Which, by the way, we did a previous podcast on. Yeah, and I think Ananias, Ananias and Sapphira, um, if they were in Christ, obviously it was pardonable in, in Christ. But um, I, I, I think that some of that uh, language and stuff is 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 there's a bigger context it's necessary to understand it and i think that there was such information available to some of these people right i mean mm-hmm. they had either been eyewitnesses of 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 christ himself right mm-hmm. i mean you know um i remember uh, peter stands there with ananias and sapphira it's very likely that ananias and sapphira could have seen the lord walking and doing miracles mm-hmm. right? right i mean these people are privy to information not that we don't have in scripture but i mean uh, they were uh, contemporaries yes they were they are grander um scale right yeah. than right. than we have right. um um, not that, by the way, I, I don't want to say this as well, not that our revelation is inferior in any way. Peter says it isn't. Right. Peter says that actually we have a more sure word than those who saw. But nevertheless, they had experienced something and had information to a point that when they sinned against that information, they violated themselves in such a way. I think that's what John is, I think, referencing when he's talking about some people sin in such a way that they violate, um, you know, information that they have on, on on such a scale that it's impardonable. Right. And and I think that may be what he's talking about. Okay. So l- let's think about this for a moment as we close. Um, should um, believers or should a local church, um, even as demonstrated from the Corinthian church, should we do this? Should we, should we, uh, as elders, um, should we, as a congregation, should we call the whole congregation together and say, um, we're praying, um, and we're handing this one over to Satan? I think, yeah. I think in the context of, of church discipline, Hmm. now, you know, and, and that's maybe unfortunate because, you know, um, we probably ought to use biblical language more than we do. I guess is what I'm saying. Yes. Sometimes we we say things differently, and so like like I said, we're in the context right now of, of a, a disciplinary action at the church, and 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 we I think did everything that we were supposed to do in the context, and we're praying that this person repents and comes back, right? But could we have used that language when we when we finally got to the point in the disciplinary process that we had to take it before the church? Could we have used that language? Yes, I think so too. Should we have used that language? Maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I'm not going to say that I'm not going to say yes definitively in the sense that we didn't and so we sinned but could we have used that language? Yes. Should we have used that language? Maybe. Maybe we ought, Maybe it would be clearer for people to recognize the dangers involved that we didn't just say hey, you're involved in a sin, you're unrepentant so we're going to kick you out for a little bit. Maybe it would be clearer for people if they recognized what the Bible's saying is we're handing you over to the world to Satan outside of the protection of, of this fellowship to be destroyed in hopes that your soul would be saved. Yeah. Amen. Right? right? So maybe if we used the harsher language, maybe if we preached on hell, well, you know, we talked earlier in a podcast about preaching on heaven, right. but when was the last time, um, and, and I, this is maybe, because um, we, we, we teach so expositionally here that we get in text and go on, right. but maybe it's about time that we had a topical series on heaven 
and hell. Right. And the realities of these things. Because, um, and uh, I'm certainly uh, not moving away from my, my belief that expositional preaching and teaching should be the steady diet of the church. But maybe it's time that, uh, that every now and then we stop and we talk about the glories of heaven and, and develop a, a taste for those things in our, in our, in our, in our people. But also the dangers and, uh, and uh, the seriousness and the eternality of hell and, um, and, and, and make people long for, for, for escaping it. Yes, you know, that's a good idea. We, we've got our preaching schedule planned out to the end of March, but uh, perhaps after March there will be a place for uh, preaching on heaven and hell. Yeah. Good thought. Well, again, uh, our prayer is that the podcast has been helpful. We pray that um, God would use it in your understanding and thinking about these things, and may the Lord use this to encourage you in your own spiritual walk. Amen. Amen.